Good morning. It is Tuesday, September the 13th. A little grey here in TW11 this morning, though still quite warm. Confirmation first that the Sir Henry Cecil Open weekend will go ahead as planned at the end of this week and as the culmination of National Racehorse Week, which is continuing, as you heard, from Rod Street on yesterday's programme. There is growing speculation that the Queen Consort, Camilla, will take a leading role in taking over the interests of Her Late Majesty's Racing and Bloodstock Empire. I'll be talking a little more with Cornelius Lysett about that later on in the programme. We'll also be reflecting further on Longines Irish Champions weekend and some of the fallout from that with one or two of the leading connections. The Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings have given a massive uplift to Kiprios, now in fifth in the world, and Highfield Princess now in 11th in the world and very much bound for the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. First, however, a piece of news that was broken by David Jennings in yesterday's Racing Post that Willie Mullins would train again for Michael O'Leary's Jigginstown House stud, the pair having split, albeit amicably according to reports, six years ago. Uh, Cornelius, as I said, is with me now. Cornelius, why is this important? What are the implications of this, not only for racing, but also for Mullins's competitors. It's six years, actually, almost exactly, September 2016. And it was massive at uh, the time, uh, the story, uh, massive story to hit jump racing in these islands, when probably the sport's most universally well-known racehorse owner, Michael O'Leary, the aviation tycoon and owner through his uh, Jigginstown House stud operation, uh, split. I don't think they ever particularly fell out, but it was a split uh, from Willie Mullins about the most prolific racehorse trainer in these uh, islands. It was over training fees and something like 60 horses, some of the best um, national hunt horses around, were moved from Mullins HQ at Close Sutton. Uh, now, those 60 boxes didn't stand empty. They were soon filled. But, but there was a thought at the time that Team Mullins long-term champion national hunt trainers in Ireland, that Team Mullins uh, might face an uphill struggle to keep hold of that title with so much firepower being transferred, plenty of it to arch-rival Gordon Elliott. Uh, but that turned out not to have been a problem. Actually, Willie and team have, have continued going from strength uh, to strength since. Meanwhile, Jigginstown, although still successful, has scaled back. Uh, Michael O'Leary talked about alternative life priorities with his relatively young family. Uh, but when the split took place uh, six years ago, there was talk in the statement of hoping that an agreement can be reached at some time in the future, which will allow a resumption of the link. And that is now what has happened. Uh, a small number of horses uh, are going under the Jigginstown banner to Clos Sutton, including a 190,000 purchase Shan Valley kid which beat a, a Mullins hot pot in a bumper at Clonmel in April, and a few others, uh, restoring an association uh, which, with horses like Sir Deschamps, Don Poli, and, and many others, has been successful over the years. A couple of points out of this. Uh, one, as far as Jigginstown is concerned, um, whatever Michael O'Leary has said about scaling back, it seems he still intends Jigginstown to be a, a major player. And the other point... Um, uh, this will clearly make the Willie Mullins machine even stronger. What did he have? Ten winners, a record at, at Cheltenham this year, five in one day. So it will be even harder for everyone else. On the one hand, oh, hats off to him for a brilliant, well-oiled operation. Uh, but more power will be concentrated in one camp 
And there will, will be those who say, well, come on, variety is the spice of life. Uh, there was a very short statement to the Racing Post released by Eddie O'Leary. He said, it's a long road that doesn't turn. We've always been very friendly with Willie and that's never changed. We're thrilled to have a couple of horses back with him. I suspect a couple is on the short side. I put in a call to Eddie O'Leary this morning and he said, oh, I don't really want it to become a big story. I did point out that it was already on the front page of the trade paper. So it was already a, a story, but I, I think he wanted to downplay the significance well, of it. And, but... and of course, and of course it's significant because the, the money power that Jiggenstown has uh, is considerable and a couple of horses they're not going to be horses that have been claimed out of sellers at uh, at, at Catrick Bridge you know but they're the, going to be Cornelius as you pointed out the biggest story surely is how big are they going to get again well, do, they want, do they want to seek complete domination as they had well not complete domination and is that and see... is that good is that good for the game um and you know on the one hand everyone will will take their their hat off and say you know congratulations Willie on the other hand There'll be people, and particularly people who are trying to get on the the rungs of the ladder to try and improve themselves as as trainers, who will be um, a little bit downhearted by this this news because it's going to be harder and harder for them. I'll point to note, Cornelius, the consequences on others will not just be because Willie Mullins's stranglehold increases. Uh, the the closeness of the relationship between Jigginstown and Gordon Elliott has been really notable through thick and thin. And there's been a, a massive desire to make him champion trainer. This isn't going to help his cause in that respect, however however well he is supported by them. And however, a smaller number of horses are actually going under under that banner too close up. And, you know, th- the fact is that when that split took place and that so much support went from Jigginstown to Gordon Elliott, I think there was a belief that, that finally Gordon would be able to get the upper hand. And he's got very close. And uh, he's looked as though on on a couple of occasions as though he might actually pull it off. But the fact is he hasn't. And it does just demonstrate to everybody else, the small people, but even the other big people like Gordon Eddie, like Henry de Bromhead, just uh, what a task they face in in trying to wrestle the laurels off off, uh, the Willie Mullins team. Back to matters closer at hand. And I thought I'd spin you through this week's Thoroughbred Racing Commentary rankings which dropped this morning uh, still Baid is on top no change there uh, but just looking from 15 upwards Animo Australian horse at 15 down 2 Olympiad is down 2 at 13 down 2 at 12 is the Japanese arc hopeful title holder with Do Juice not really doing anything terribly special in the trial it looks as though it's title holder who is going to fly the flag principally for Japan in the arc now up Eight places now to 11. Highfield Princess continues her remarkable rise through the ranks. And that is very high for a European trained sprinter. And she is second in the world in terms of sprinters in this list behind Jackie's Warrior, more of which in a moment. Uh, Jack Christopher is down one at nine. Epicenter down two at eight. Jackie's Warrior is solid at seven. Golden 60's down one at six, the Hong Kong star. We'll see him out soon. Kiprios is the biggest significant mover this week. Is up no fewer than 16 places from 21 to fifth in the world after that Irish ledger win. Flight Life is Good is solid at three. Flightline remains at two and Baid at one. And news about Flightline dropped yesterday confirmed that he would stand at the end of his racing career at Lane's End Farm. We'll try and establish for you in the next couple of days whether that will be next year or whether the Lane's End part of his ownership is happy to carry on into 2023. 
uh, one person who will be very happy, or one family who will be very happy with uh, Kiprios's move from 21 to 5th, is the uh, Hefner family, owners of Moyglare Stud Farm. Their representative is Fiona Craig, who's with me now. That was a, a great performance, Fiona, and he, he takes high order now in the, the realms of the world's best racehorses. Oh, I think so. Yeah, very. I mean, I would, I, you know, I, I think he's a very good horse. And he, remember, he's a, he's only a four-year-old, Kiprios. He's got, he's definitely got next year, and then we'll see what happens. But I mean, he's potentially, he's potentially the best stayer there is around. I mean, for a, for a while. I mean, Mr. Ullman might disagree with us, but I think Kiprios can only get better from here. Uh, that it's interesting, isn't it? Because you and I spoke a couple of months ago, and you were getting a little bit peeved that he hadn't got the credit he deserved. The tanker is definitely turning now, isn't it? Oh, I think so. I think he's now getting the credit. Yes, I think now he won in Ascot, he won in Goodwood, and he won here. And I mean, he hasn't really looked like losing. So you know, I yes, and, and you know, you know, in my opinion, I think Stradivarius is a fantastic horse. But he is also, I mean, we're in the same situation with Search for a Song. She was third on Sunday. She's six now. So she's probably lost a little bit of her pace. And I think maybe, I don't know, I don't have anything to do with Stradivarius. But I think as they get older, they do lose a little bit of their pace. Kiprios is a four-year-old. He is the up-and-coming stayer. How much of a kick did it give you and, and the whole uh, of the of the Moigler stud farm um, family, if you like, literal and otherwise, that you, you add two in the first three in a, in a, in a classic, in a group one? I know, I know, I know. I was great. I mean, it was great. I mean, our heart will always be with Serge because she flew the flag for us when nothing else was. But, I mean, she ran a hell of a race. She ran a hell of a race. But, obviously, for Ava to be there, and, and she's finally got to see Kiprios win in, in, in real because she wasn't at Ascot and she wasn't at Goodwood. So, there, so she was there today, uh, there, yes, on Sunday. And it was just great. It was brilliant for her, you know? He's a he's a terrific horse. Aiden was asked about the arc afterwards, and he didn't he didn't rule it out. What's your your feeling on that? Um, I'm not sure if he needs to go do that this year. I'm not sure, but they will talk about it. I mean, I think you know, fortunately they have another horse. I'm not sure. I I'm I'm not sure he needs to go do that this year. He's only a four-year-old. He's done some top-staying races this year. I'm not sure if that would be the right move. But Aiden will train him, and Aiden will see and. Aiden will probably decide. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you've got trainers that, uh, of the calibre that, that, that you employ, Aiden O'Brien and, and Dermot Well, I, I suppose, you, you yes. does it make you think about your input very carefully before you put your head above the parapet? Of course it does. I mean, you make intelligent comments. You don't make daft comments. You make daft comments, you just get a look from all of them. But I mean, yes, you do. I mean, but you, know, you make suggestions and sometimes it's like, oh, that's a good idea, particularly if it's not the straightforward, obvious suggestion. But that's all you can do. It, everyone's head's put together and seeing it as an alternative and that's what you do. But no, I, I, I think at the moment, I think, I think Kiprigos won a hell of a race and um, it was soft ground, but we took more out of him. Um, but he's a tough horse. He's a good horse. But, you know, he's run, what is it now? One, two, three, four. He's had five runs this year and, you know, lengthy staying races. And for that reason, you know, it just may be, it may be a step too far to go to Paris. You know, everyone wants to go to Paris with everything. You know, I, I mean, you know, should be finishing the arc? I don't know. We spoke to Dermot Weld earlier uh, last week about homeless songs, and he said he he felt that the matron states would be the beginning of a of a big autumn campaign. Are, are you sat Are you satisfied that she'll move forward from that? 
Oh God, without a question. I mean, I've I've watched. I've been in Ireland for the last few weeks. We struggled to work her. Most of it's had to be on the um, all weather. She was missing a grass gallop. We all knew that going in. That that was the one thing that was missing. And she took a blow at the two, and then she came on again. But she what she needed was a grass gallop, which is what she had before the Guineas, and they actually managed to do that before before um, the coronation. But the ground was too fast at Ascot, so that's why. I mean, I'm very happy with the the, the, the first, the three in front of her, um, Pearls Galore, Saffron Beach, and Tenebrism. They'd all run in the um, on the second of August in the in the Prix de Rothschild in Deauville. We hadn't run since the twenty second of May. You know. And with that in mind, I mean, Dermot was talking about the Breeders' Cup maybe at Keeneland. Is that the way you're still thinking? Possibly. I mean, there's a race on Art Weekend that, you know, I mean, she's getting faster rather than slower. And then that's possibly Keeneland. But I think we have to go step by step. You know, we have to do we have to go to the next race and then we have to decide what's right for her because she will definitely stay in training next year. Fiona Craig there from Moigles Stud Farm. A couple of points to note there, uh, Cornelius. Well, first of all, Kiprios now fifth in the TRC Global Rankings, very high for a stayer, uh, and and now definitely getting the credit that he deserves. But Fiona Craig saying, in her words, does he have to do the arc this year? I'm not sure he does. It was a mighty performance. It, it, in any normal weekend, it would have been the supreme highlight to to talk about because there was, but there were so many other. Uh, fine, fine performances over the weekend. Wow. It, it was one of several, but it was it was great, uh, and uh, it'd be really interesting to see going forward what what they do. I, I don't think it's going to be the arc, is it? As as Fiona said, does he really need to? Probably not. Is he going to win the race? Probably not. Could he run a nice race and finish third, like like an Order of St George or runner up like Westerner? Probably could, but I I think it would be unlikely. Put it that way. Uh, homeless songs, perhaps go yeah. to Art Weekend and then and then go to the Breeders' Cup. But Dermot Weld, Cornelius, for all he's had a an indifferent season, no one will care, will they? He's just unleashed the most exciting two-year-old filly we've seen in many moons in Tahira. Yeah, Tahira. I just rewatched it uh, on Racing TV this morning, actually, um, just to be absolutely certain. Uh, there was all this. There was all this action taking place over the weekend and you just had to make absolutely... I remember being so impressed by Tahira. I just wanted to go and watch it again just to make absolutely certain that I hadn't got anything confused and I really hadn't got anything uh, confused at all. The way that filly uh, travelled, the way the excellent Chris Hayes was was happy to sit and wait between the three furlong pole and the one pole before, as it were, pushing the button and getting her to accelerate, which was just fabulous was was terrific it was it was actually it was a great horse race to watch for a fan for an aficionado because that was clearly a performance that is going to be one of the standout performances of 2022 but actually i think it's it would be a, a really good piece of sporting action to show anyone whatever their interest in racing just to show what racing can be that was absolutely magnificent by tahira and um, though numbers have been down uh, in the early part of the season, first half of the season for Dermot Weld, the great DK Weld, uh, I think that was winner 18, but it was something like eight or nine in a fortnight. Number 17 came at Leopardstown in a group three on Saturday. Duke de Sessa by Lope de Vega getting up on the line again with uh, with Chris Hayes. Uh, they're, they're going really well now and a productive, a highly productive latter part of the season uh, can be uh, anticipated. And actually, talking of, of two-year-olds at the Curra, 
I was going to mention Streets of Gold as well, won the sales race for, for Eve Johnson, Horton, Charlie Bishop, Johnny Allison and Gary Stevens, the, the owners of the horse, who really, this is a horse, it made it four from four on um, on Sunday, cost 27000 as a yearling and has now won over 180000 So a real feather in the cap to uh, to all involved. And uh, I did, I made, because it's another good season for, for Eve Johnson Horton. I see she tells the trade newspaper today that uh, she's in a good place with her Woodway team. Certainly is in a very good place at the moment. Well, yesterday we didn't really give full attention as we should have done because there was so much else going on to the arc trials that were run in Paris at the weekend and Lee Mottishead and I were speaking last week what was going to be most interesting would very elegant take enough of a step forward on her second European start since coming over from Australia where she was nothing less than all conquering her co-owner is Bray Sokolsky and he's with me now Bray she finished third in her trial race at the weekend not beaten very far what was your reaction to it from afar uh, well, obviously, we were very disappointed with uh, the outcome first up um, and, you know, sort of declared openly that, you know, it was going to be D-Day for her because, you know, she's got she's too important to us and there's a legacy that's the responsibility of the owners to protect. And had she sort of failed again, um, I think we would have been, um, you know, looking at the breeding barn for her. So it was very uh, anxious for us leading into the race and... Um, I was very satisfied with the performance. Was it very elegant at her best? No, but it was incremental improvement from her first up run. And she showed some of the typical characteristics that we're more akin to seeing a very elegant that, you know, third up, um, you know, in in a grand final that uh, we're going to see her, if not at her best, certainly somewhere near it. Um, So... From our perspective, she's back on track and, um, yeah, we're really happy with the performance. I suppose the big question is, why have you brought her to Europe? You've brought her to Europe for a big adventure, culminating in a big race. Do you say, right, we've got to go all the way here, we've got to roll the dice, or do you say we need to recalibrate our expectations and just give her a chance to end on a high in a race we know she can be very competitive in? That's a bit of a dilemma. How do you play it? Very, very good question. And yes, that's sort of the vexing uh, quandary that we now face um, because there is that 2,800 metre race on the Saturday of Arc Weekend restricted to fillies and mares that looks like an optimal target for her. Um, But like you said, we sent her over to Europe with the dream of running in an arc. um, And... There was enough merit in the run to suggest that she deserves her place in the race. We're not for a moment suggesting that she's going to be one of the leading chances going in, but if she can improve as much, um, you know, into her third up run as she did into her second up run, you know, we sense that she may be competitive um, and, you know, it's hard to put a... um, uh, enough of an emphasis on, you know, the fact we wanted to be trailblazers and to, for her to run in an arc and acquit herself well would still be an enormous thrill irrespective of whether, you know, she won or even ran a placing. Um, so, you know, it's still very much on the agenda, but by the same token, um, we need to respect the quality of the opposition and we'll take our time to make the decision which path we take. You're being extremely respectful. I'd say you're being a bit more respectful than 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 some of the the brickbats that get chucked in in Australians' direction by by you by Europeans at, at, at times like this. When people say, "Well, that's as good that's as good as she is," you know, that's about what she is in Europe—a kind of Group Two and a Half horse. What what do you say to them? 
Oh, definitely Descent. Um, like I said, there's no way that uh, that was the best of Very Elegant. Um, and, uh, you know, we know her level and, like, by all um, objective measures, her performance in the Melbourne Cup was a truly world-class performance. And we know that she's up to that standard. Um, and we've sent her over hoping that she could reach that peak performance again. Um, and like I said, we feel that would make her competitive in an arc. Um, but, you know, she hasn't set the world on fire in her two runs. We have to acknowledge that. Um, but like I said, um, you know, we feel that there was, she definitely showed enough second up to um, give us some, um, you know, reason to be positive. And I think a big factor as well, not just is the improvement that she'll derive out of the run, but, you know, she's not a horse that has ever led a race in her life. You know, at 40 starts, she's never been in front. Um, and Christophe Simeon did the right thing. He rode her really well under the circumstances, but she's a much better horse ridden quietly and finishing off. And that's the way she's going to be ridden, um, irrespective of which race she goes. And uh, you'll hopefully see sort of the real very elegant um, and prove that she is a world-class stayer. Yeah, just um, just on that point of, of jockeyship, you, you, you had a little flirtation with Frankie Dottori there, and it looks as though that might be unrequited, given that he seems to be half committed to Tequato Tassel on the only day he can ride in the next however many weeks. Um uh, and now Christoph might be available because Vadeni, it doesn't look as though he is going to run in the arc. Is that the way you're leaning now? I tell you what, it would be a big factor if he was available um, and was willing to ride her. Uh, you wouldn't um, you'd underestimate that. Um, you know, he's certainly one of the best jockeys in, in France. Um, you know, Frankie was actually really keen to ride her. And obviously when they moved the meeting, um, the, the British, main British meeting to the Sunday, he wasn't able to. Um, and, he, and like you rightfully point out, he had a, a, that booking, so he can't ride her in the arc. Um, it's interesting you say that um, about his availability, um, and that would certainly um, help in terms of the case to be made for her to run in an arc um, if he was available. Um, otherwise, I don't know sort of where we would go to and we may be getting sort of a, more of a B-grade um, rider in the race and she is a horse that isn't the easiest horse to ride um, and having a you know, very um, senior jockey on her is critical um, so that's one and yet another factor that has to be thrown into the mix um, and the other consideration and you would certainly appreciate this Nick is um, the we, we this isn't the final run of her campaign we're keen to progress on to the um, to Champions Day, Royal Ascot, and that mm. mile and a half Phillies and Mares race is, you know, right in her wheelhouse. So, what, you know, you'd, you'd intuitively think that a mile and a half of the arc and into a mile and a half two weeks um, later is a better um, preparation than coming back from 2,800 metres, you know, so that's yet another consideration. Um, so, there is a whole host of factors that we need to weigh up. It's a really important decision and... Um, we'll let dust settle and make the call at some stage next week. Bray Sikolsky there, the owner of Very Elegant. My thanks to him. We'll be tracking her progress right the way through until Arc Weekend and it looks as though British Champions Day. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, National Racehorse Week continues apace and we will see the Sir Henry Cecil Open Weekend taking place at Newmarket and that will finish before the added bank holiday for the funeral of Her Late Majesty on Monday. Uh, lots of participation in National Racehorse Week and I've been trying to get around the yards and, and try and figure out exactly what's going on this week for you. Um, 
Dave Weston joins me now, um, a trainer, breeder, owner, a, a man of many hats, but somebody who's very happy to embrace this concept. Dave, just tell me what's been going on uh, with you at your stables. Well, Nick, we've um, we've been there now for eighteen years. We um, we took over an old dairy farm and basically we we built it from from ground floor up. Um, the horses get looked after better than me. I've always said that's my other half. So uh, it's been built around the horse, not around the person. Um, and we breed from there, and uh, we also train a small number of uh, mostly fillies from there, um, both over flat and a national hunt. So, so we're in the season now of of sales, where where maybe we're looking to um, sell some of our produce and uh, also perhaps bring in new bloodlines. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're we're really grateful that we can showcase some of this to to the public, and also obviously it's a it's a sad week for the for the royal family and. Uh, I think it's a good way to reflect for Her Majesty in the fact that we open up what was probably one of her greatest passions in, in terms of breathing and racing. So if we can give a bit of an insight to maybe some of the processes she went through in selecting stallions or bloodlines, it's it's like a huge game of chess on a, on a grander scale, I think. So whether you're at the bottom, the middle or the top, the same questions are posed. So I'm sure there are the problems we have are similar to the ones she had, but she probably got it right a lot more often than we did. So, uh, so yeah, we're looking forward to welcoming people into the yard and, and getting an insight into what we do. We've got um, we've got a physio in looking at uh, some of the racehorses in terms of how we treat them. We've got a vet in doing some uh, external scanning of mares, so hopefully people can see um, the the unborn foals in in the mare, which is something they've probably not seen before. We've got yearlings, we've got foals, so so they can see the whole remit of the horse from from conception right through to the retired racehorses that we've got as well so we're welcome everybody on thursday um at uh 2 30 so i think we've got 60 people coming which we were quite amazed at we thought we'd probably get 20 but we've got 60 people we're down on uh, on the wiltshire downs just outside of marlborough we we look across the hills to, to manton obviously the famous estate where um brian Meehan and uh, martin mead are and then probably three miles west of us is the the yard of roger charlton where I know it was the first, having read it recently, it's the first yard that Her Majesty went to uh, as a youngster to, to see her first sort of insight into racing. So, uh, so yeah, we're in quite a historical place, really. Uh, and you yourself, I know uh, you've been breeding a, a while and have had some really significant results without without blowing your own trumpet too much either. Uh, you are branching out into all sorts of parts of the world. Now, we, we do love to make the world smaller on this podcast, and uh, you clearly like to do the same. Tell me about it, your, your Australian venture. Yeah, so so we started Australian Venture probably um, fifteen months ago now, and we had a mare that um, had uh, the first two siblings had been shipped to Australia, and she had a half brother that ran fifth in the Melbourne Cup. He's a, a black type horse in Australia, and we we missed getting her in foal. So we come up with the the idea of putting her in foal to Southern Hemisphere to Night of Thunder, a, a sire that I'm I'm very keen on, um, knowing that he wasn't going to shuttle. And we teamed up with Ben Cooper of Merrick Station down in Melbourne. And um, we got her in full over here. We've shipped her out there and she was actually due this weekend. So hopefully very shortly to a Night of Thunder all being well. Everyone loves a Night of Thunder, especially after Highfield Princess. Highfield Princess. So we're hoping for a filly, um, <laughs> needless to say. But, you know, either would do nice as long as they're happy and healthy. Um, and we, we acquired a, a mare at the Magic Millions sale. Uh, this year, who was in foal, she came from uh, from Godolphin, and um, we had a great update at the weekend where uh, her first produce, uh, sorry, second produce, uh, won a Group Three by by five lengths, 
and is now um, favourite for the Guineas out there. So, so that was a nice update. Um, and we also acquired another three-year-old off a good old fin, which has been shipped and has just cleared quarantine out there, which hopefully um, we will race. Um, she's already a winner. But again, if not, she's got a very strong Australian pedigree. She's got seven Group 1 winners in the pedigree. So we're looking to sort of do things in different countries, but sort of at more of a mid, middle to elite level um, to try and really sort of push the boundaries and stretch the uh, the wallet, really. But, um, but yeah, for, for fun and um, obviously commercial reasons. But uh, we've also got some mares now in France and Ireland. So we're, we're trying to, to work out if we can travel the world and, and see all the, all the horses. Sounds great fun, as I'm sure Thursday will be as part of National Racehorse Week. Dave Weston, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you. And Cornelius back with me. And it, it's rather nice that this National Racehorse Week seems seems so timely in in remembering the Queen. Speculation yesterday, Cornelius, that, and it's not exactly uninformed, and, and nor is it very surprising, that the Queen consort, Camilla, would be the the lead in terms of uh, taking on her majesty's racing uh, her late majesty's racing and and bloodstock interests hopefully there's no doubt that uh, that the connection the royal connection will continue to be strong and robust and you know the queen has just been so so much part of the sport and part of the sport's life but you know i think the queen consort camilla uh king charles himself um uh, also, the Princess Royal, the Princess Royal's family, will will, will ensure that. And actually, if you think of, there's been a, a strong connection between racing and the royal family going back what a couple of hundred years. And and the fact of the matter, not every single one of those sovereigns has been mad keen on on racing, but there have been people around and about who who have and friends who've been really keen. So I, I'm I'm sure, and I certainly everyone hopes that that uh, that link becomes. Uh, it becomes as, as strong as uh, it's been in the past. Quite the scale is the question mark. And, you know, in in John Warren, the Queen's um, bloodstock and um, and thoroughbred breeding advisor, there is a, a, a very capable pair of hands and a very safe pair of hands who has the interests of everything very much at, at heart. So um, that that is... That is something that uh, everyone must uh, must consider as the the period of mourning continues, comes to an end, and then life continues uh, afterwards. I, I think the other thing for for racing to definitely be thinking about is that the late Queen did give such a what's the word such a relevance to racing for the for the wider world, and clearly she's not around anymore to do that. Um, no one can really question that in Britain that racing's place. In, in the wider world has fallen dramatically, even with Her Majesty at the helm, attendances down, um, media coverage, you know, excellent on ITV, but away from the specialist areas, you know, just look at the obituary material in some of the newspapers. I, I may be being a bit chippy about this, but I, I think it's been quite limited or that her connection and her, her passion, her expert knowledge, her, her, her racing business, um, so I, I th- think there's something for, for racing to address. And actually, just as a, an aside, please, some colleagues, please stop saying that racing was one of her favourite hobbies. It wasn't one of anything. It was her life away from her obvious royal duties. So let's not, let's not play it down. And racing needs to address this. Needs to, I'm sure people are thinking about uh, where we go. 
uh, to to ensure that that relevance continues and to to even improve the sport standing. Royal Ascot, uh, in particular, clearly has a challenge. She'd been so central to that for for so long. I'm sure Vivian Vivian Curry, the new chief executive, will be relishing um, rolling up her sleeves and getting her teeth into that. But there is definitely work to be done. They did well at the weekend. However, those big beasts need to sort themselves out. They need to stop squabbling. They genuinely need to go forward uh, to, to make things better for racing. Things haven't been brilliant, let's be honest, with the most famous and it seems about the most popular person in the world right on side, as I think Nikki Henderson put it. She seemed like the patron saint of racing. Uh, and there's plenty of work to be done. And I, I bet, I hope, I pray that Greg Swift, communications and corporate affairs head coming into the British Horse Racing Authority at the end of October, has that high uh, in his mind. I'm sure he will do. Well, it's Tuesday, the day we normally go around the world with our friends at Weatherby's, the Bloodstock World with our friends at Weatherby's. And in all honesty, there's only one place we can stop off today because uh, yesterday was day one of Keeneland's most extensive sale of the year Keeneland the the largest auction house in the world uh, Ed Prosser is their European representative he's on site in central Kentucky um, to give us the the lowdown Ed w- what's been happening on on day one have the have the fireworks come as anticipated it's been a, a really exciting day, Nick. We've had people sort of here, for, uh, sorry, all over the world and sort of a lot of people that wouldn't have been here for three years. So it was a, sort of an electric day from start to finish. There was a two and a half million um, dollar uh, session topper and nine nine horses actually made a million dollars or more, which I think is the most in a day since 2007. So a very, very exciting curtain raiser to the the Keeneland September yearling sale. Can you tell me a little bit more about the, the sale topper? So he um, he was a quality road um, colt. Like, like a lot of the, the yearlings in America now, um, there was a partnership that brought him, um, in, well, headed by Taller Racing, Woodford Racing, and then West Point. He's, he's, um, he's a half-brother to a horse called Feeling Mischief, probably one of the other features of the day was the the variety of people buying the horses you know that there was a strong japanese interest and i think um 12 different buyers bought the top 15 highest priced horses so a good number of europeans here again um they were trying quite hard for some of the better horses but just missed out on quite a few today i'm interested you say there were a lot of europeans at keeneland i i'm i'm always encouraged by that much as i am when i see americans at the sales in in the uk trying to buy buy good turf horses making the world a, a slightly smaller place what sort of horses were the europeans trying to buy there's, so there's a mixture here really sort of um Kia from Ammo Racing came in last night, and they're, they're, they're sort of building up a racing stable in America. So they bought two today that will probably race in America. But they're probably also looking for, for horses to run in, in, in Europe as well. Um, and uh, there was people like David Redvers was here in the Qatar. And again, they have some in America, but they, you know, they've done very well, well, particularly with Kitten's Joy, buying the likes of Cameco and Roaring Lion here. So... I think they're looking for for both markets. Obviously, you're going to be delighted that you've had so many seven-figure lots and the, the horses are flying and you've got a good spread of, of buyers, good spread of, 
of vendors. One of the stories going into the sale was that, that in the end, Jane Lyon, to whom I spoke on the podcast, the very next day, she, she said she was not going to sell the the half to, to, to flight line. And, and you could kind of understand why she wanted to keep that horse. Quite a few breeders have taken out some quite choice lots to race themselves. I guess I guess you as a, a sales house have slightly mixed feelings about that. Disappointed on one hand, but if you're using it as a barometer of industry health, I suppose maybe not so much. Yes, it is. It is. It is a shame to miss out on one of one or two of them. But um, I think people were still very impressed with what they saw on the sales ground. And I think, yeah, I mean, one of the themes. Just I know people from sales companies always say it, but this is a fantastic catalogue. They look great, etc. But it, this year, it's been one of those years when they really have have been saying it. And so, I think, I think, I think everyone's happy enough with the the yearlings that are here on the sales ground. Mm. Uh, on a slightly less sort of inside note, just for those who aren't familiar with Keeneland, who aren't familiar with the, just the sheer scale of what you're about to put on over the next few days and weeks, d- just give me an idea as to the amount of, of, of horse flesh that is going to go through that through that sale ring. So, so today um, was was almost a, a, a warm up. So there there were um, just over 180 horses catalogued today. But there's nearly another 4,000 to go in the catalogue. And so it starts today, or sorry, started on Monday yesterday and will go on until Saturday the 24th of September with one day break on Friday to sort of move horses around. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty um, manic, manic few days. And, yeah, it's sort of comfortably the biggest yearling sale in the world. To what extent do the racing and the, and the sales really complement one another in terms of bringing the town alive? Oh, they're very connected because I mean, it's Lexington's a pretty small, small town, and so every, everyone sort of embraces the, the the racing and and the sales, and so yeah, so immediately following the the the, the sales, the sales barns are all steam clean, cleared out, and then. Um, the racing horses arrive in for the October race meet, which be- begins the second weekend of October. And then that ends, and then the, the Breeders' Cup begins. And then immediately after the Breeders' Cup is the November breeding stock sale, which again lasts nearly two weeks. And there's been a huge amount of interest in that. You know, sort of people know there's going to be perhaps people in town that wouldn't be there normally and, and, and sort of. Uh, a lot of interest in consigning some sort of better horses to that. So it's it's a sort of man, manic few months really at Keeneland. It's always yeah, it's always um, it it people don't sort of realise, but there's only well, there's three and a half sales a year really at Keeneland, and um, uh, but it still it turns over more than any other sales company, and I think probably sells more horses each year than any other sales company. But the bulk of those are in sort of two sales in September and November. So we have a, a, a manic period coming up. But I think everyone is very excited about it. And um, the preparations for the Breeders' Cup are already away, underway at Keeneland with the, the temporary marquees being built along the track. The Breeders' Cup statue is there. And um, everyone is really counting down to the, the first weekend in November. Uh, thanks to Ed and to all my other guests today. Cornelius Lyser is still with me and has some uh, sage advice for you for this afternoon. At Redcar, Redcar 253, uh, the Market Cross Jewellers Nursery, seven furlongs. The distance is sure to suit number three, 
Prairie Falcon, a seven furlong nursery winner at Goodwood at the big Goodwood meeting for trainer Michael Dodds and the Holcroft family's Bearstone stud. They they bred the um, horse as well by Bellardo, dropped to six furlongs last time. That was a bit sharp. Uh, today, the seven furlongs will be better. The Dodds team had a couple of winners yesterday and a couple of near misses at Thirsk. And I might say that the trainer has a very interesting runner at 33 to 1 called Tinto in the Air Gold Cup at Air on Saturday. Ran well behind stablemate Comanche Falls, who also runs in the Air Gold Cup in the Stewards Cup. And Tinto at 33 to 1 might just be a, a look ahead selection as well. But it's three Prairie Falcon in the 253 at Red Car for me. Cornelius, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye bye.